Well, uh, each week as we look at this beautiful love song in the Bible, I've treated you to a love song from our times. Here's a little classic from 1989 for us to enjoy for a couple of minutes. It's true, my younger children laughed at me in the garden yesterday afternoon as I sang along to it. Here, here, I've got a couple of quotes to you from a a young man driven crazy in love. I wonder if you know where these are from. 12.04, are you okay? You look amazing. Thank you. I missed you. 13.05, do we kiss now? Yeah. Do you know where they come from? Lip red from the royal wedding. That's what Harry said to Meghan as she arrived, and then as they were on the steps. My favorite quote, actually, was this next one, what the Queen said to Prince Swivel. Keep waving. (laughs) Watched by 1.9 billion people. It was the event of the year, wasn't it? Fewer and fewer people might be getting married, but everyone loves a fairy tale wedding. Love and marriage, they go together like a horse and carriage. Well, they do if you get married into the royal family anyway. Now, we're at a royal wedding in our Bible passage this morning. We've been listening to King Solomon's number one hit. It's a song of love, his song of songs, written about 980 BC by the king of God's people, Israel, in the Old Testament. It's about a love that's passionate, a love that's perfect, a love between a shepherd king and his beautiful country girl. But we've seen also it's a love. There's a picture of God's love for his people. Because that's what marriage is. I listen to what the Apostle Paul says as he writes to Christians in Ephesus. He quotes from Genesis 2.24, the verse at the beginning of the Bible that makes marriage a reality. Then he says this in Ephesians 5.31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. That's why marriage between a man and a woman is not the highest form of love that you can experience. It is only a shadow. The reality is knowing Jesus. It's tasted today, that relationship with Jesus in his love, but it'll be consummated fully when we go to be with Jesus forever in heaven. 
So as we look at this wedding today, we're going to be swept along by beautiful human love. But in the end, our destination is perfect divine love. So if you don't know the love of God in the Lord Jesus Christ today, this is a great time to be here because Christ invites all people to his wedding. And as we look at this passage, just ask yourself, would you like to know a love like this? Is this love just a chemical reaction? A product of evolution to help us reproduce in a more effective way? Or is there something more here? Something deeper? Something more mysterious? Something that echoes the love of God in eternity? Father for Son for Spirit. And as we look at this love poem, because it's a poem, we're not going to study it so much as experience it. We're not going to understand it, maybe, in all its fullness as much as feel it. We're not going to flatten its passion as much as fan its flames. So come, let's speak of love again. You're invited to a royal wedding, to the royal wedding. Last week, we ended in chapter 3, verse 5, with passion paused. Daughters of Jerusalem, said the young girl, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. But now the heat is on and the cry goes out. I don't think from the girl, but from people saying, who is this coming up from the wilderness like a column of smoke perfumed with myrrh and incense made from all the spices of the merchant? This is her approaching. Here she comes, coming to her king, perfumed, alluring. But before we dwell on her beauty, well, look at her bow. Look look at what he's prepared for her. Here's preparation in verses 7 to 8. Look, it's Solomon's carriage. It's more of a bed than a carriage. Literally, it's a litter, a bed to be carried. It's Solomon's carriage, escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with a sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. A bed to be carried, a place for the king. He lies, protected. Twice as many mighty men around him as were around his great father, King David. With him, fears evaporate. He's built this bed himself, You read on and you see it's a bed of beauty. It's a bed of luxury. It's a bed of royalty. But most of all, verse 9 tells us, it's a bed inlaid with love. A place to be intimate with the king. A place to feel safe. A place to know that you're treasured. A place to make love. The the Bible says in Ephesians 5, 28... In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, protecting her, providing for her. In 1996, a gunman went on the rampage in Port Arthur, Australia. 35 people were killed. The Sydney Morning Herald published on its front page the pictures of all who died with an inscription underneath about who they were and how they died. And without realizing it, they published a poem of love. Jason Winter, 29, winemaker from New Zealand, 
shot dead in cafe, throwing himself in front of his wife and son to shield them. Dennis Levy, 50, on holiday with wife, who survived, shot in cafe, pushing his wife under the table. Ron Jerry's, on holiday with wife, shot in cafe while trying to push his wife to safety. Peter Nash, 32, on holiday with wife, shot dead as shielded his wife in cafe. Raymond Sharp, 67, on holiday with members of his golf club, shot in cafe while trying to protect his wife. All of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. Our wives may never have the security detail of Meghan Markle, Duchess of Sussex, but they should feel as if they do. Does your wife feel protected in your marriage? Does she feel sheltered? Does she feel provided for? Safe? If not, maybe you need to listen more. Maybe you need to remember more. Maybe you need to help with the kids more. Maybe you need to give her more. To to remember her favorite flowers. So that your marriage is inlaid with love. You're decorating it with your acts of service. You're adorning it with your words of kindness. You're strengthening it with a divine quality. But but remember, actually, there's only one man who can give us real security, the the security of the king. Because Ephesians 5.29 goes on to say this. Husbands, they care and feed for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. See, Christ is our shepherd king. And he says to us in John's gospel, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. See, he invites us to be safe with him forever. To come into a relationship he has prepared for us. A beautiful relationship. A safe relationship. Not made with perishable things like a litter made with silver and gold. But made with his blood. Shed at the cross. Where he died in our place. Bearing our sin. The blood that says we are safe with him. The blood that says he will never let us go. And one day we'll see how secure we are. Because our king, the Bible says, will come to take us home. Jesus will return. And on that day, the day the Bible describes as the wedding of King Jesus with his people, the church, he will come not in a carriage, but on the clouds of heaven. He will come not accompanied by mighty men, but by legions of angels. And he will invite us into something far better than a a litter, but into a perfect new creation, a place of perfect safety, a place of perfect beauty. A place where we will be secure in his love forever. And that day, it will not just be a day of joy for us, it will be a day of joy for him. Did you see the king rejoicing in our Bible reading in verse 10? Daughters of Jerusalem, come out and look at your young daughters of Zion. Look, King Solomon wearing a crown, the crown for which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day his heart rejoiced. Come, look at my king, my lover. He's wearing a crown of joy. A crown that speaks of the way he feels of his beloved. Because having made a safe place for her to come to, he now tells her how he feels. There's been preparation, and now there is adoration. 
He adores her. He, he almost worships her. Chapter 4, verse 1. How beautiful you are, my darling. How, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Alluring. Not, not yet mine. Suggestive. Your hair cascades down, dark, shimmering. Like a flock of goats going down the distant hills of Gilead on a, a summer's afternoon. Yeah, the compliments might be the compliments of a shepherd. But they're still beautiful. Uh, look down at chapter 4 and verse 2 to 5. You, your teeth are white and clean. A perfect smile you have. Your lips red, thin. Like Rahab from Joshua's day, like her ribbon that, that spoke of her trust in God, you have a mouth that is lovely and speaks truths. Your cheeks are smooth like, like the skin of a pomegranate. Your neck is tall and thin, yet strong and adorned with, with beautiful jewels. Your breasts are soft, young, tender, like young deer amongst the flowers. Seven descriptions. The perfect number for the perfect body. He, he's got eyes only for her. Up and down her they probe, searching, pausing, feasting on her beauty. You see, we're made to see and to desire. The Metro has a, a letter section entitled Rush Our Crush. Here are a few letters from Friday, just in case you can see yourself in them. Tall, handsome, sun-kissed, blonde man who got on at Oxford Circus on the Central Line. We both got off at Bank. Shame it was short-lived. Drink? Time out reading Blonde Girl, London. The guy with the strong beard in beige chinos. Well, the beard's gone. On the DLR on Tuesday morning. We smile at each other whenever we catch each other's eye. Drink, big, blue-eyed, blonde girl. We look, we see, and that is what he is doing. Verse 6, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of incense. In 2.17, she said, the day is breaking, it is nighttime, you must go from me. He says, no, now I come to you, I come to you day and night, I will go, I want to be as close to you, so close that I can smell you. You are altogether beautiful, my darling, there is no flaw in you. Oh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Men are often overwhelmed by the beauty of their bride, hidden from them beforehand, the secret preparations, turning to see them, walking up the aisle, smiling beneath the veil. And on our wedding day, we often say, you look amazing. It's never too late to recapture the art of the compliment the power of pondering the beauty of your wife. Oh, with age, her beauty may have changed, but not diminished. It may be that she's taken on the greater beauty of godliness. But because that's the beauty that Jesus loves to see in his bride, his people, the church, uh, Ephesians 5 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. 
I don't know if you did your wife's makeup on your wedding day. I didn't do mine. But Christ, our bridegroom, has done ours. He has made us beautiful for him. Not with mascara and lipstick. No, he died to prepare his bride for himself, to wash us clean from our sin, to make us radiant with his righteousness, to make us blameless with his innocence. And when we're brought to him, what he will rejoice over is not the quality of our skin, but the nature of our service. That's what heaven's going to be celebrating when we go to be with Jesus, the the lamb who died for us. Revelation chapter 19 at the end of the Bible tells us that. We hear them rejoicing. The cry goes out, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Righteous acts. That's what will adorn the church, will adorn you and me when we go to be with Jesus. Righteous acts that he has prepared for us to do, that he then empowers us to do, and then he rejoices that we've done. You see, the thing is, when you find someone beautiful, don't you long to be with them? And that's why we see the invitation coming here in verses 8 to 15. Look at verse 8 with me. Look what he goes on to say. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Senir, from the summit of Mount Hermon, from the lion's den and the mountain haunts of leopards. Come down from the dangerous places. Come down, come be close, come be safe with me. Verse 9, you have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. Literally, you've ravished my heart. You've aroused my heart. We might say, she drives me crazy, like no one else. She drives me crazy, and I can't help myself. I can't get any rest. People say that I am obsessed. She drives me crazy. He calls her my sister to say, I wish that I'd been with you all my life. He calls her my bride to say, I want to be united to you for the rest of my life. Your love is better than wine. Your perfume, he goes on, is intoxicating me. Your lips taste sweet, sensuous, like honey dripping from a comb. Smell and taste, the most intimate of senses. Oh, We all know what Meghan Markle looked like on her wedding day. But only one man knows how good she smelt and how sweet she tasted. Verse 12. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Behind the walls of your chastity lies beauty and bounty, undiscovered by man, not tasted by a lover. Your fountains have not been drunk from. Your fruits have not been sampled. It's a beautiful and a rare thing to arrive at your wedding day a virgin. It's a precious thing. And if it is still open to you, you should fight for it. Don't cheapen the fruit of your garden by offering it to many men or women, 
You need the security of marriage to open yourself up to the vulnerability and intimacy of sex. And what a garden this girl is in verse 13. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits with henna and nard, nard and saffron, calmus and cinnamon, with every kind of incense tree, with myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices. You're a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. No, no real garden can contain all these things. These come from all over the world. This is a global garden, an exotic garden. It is the exotic garden, the perfect garden. This garden is just a fantasy. But, but this garden is not a fantasy if Christ is your lover. Because the Bible begins with a garden. Eden. Where God placed the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, so they would know his love. And when they rejected him, he promised them another beautiful land. Do you remember what it was? It was a place flowing with milk and honey, like the milk and honey of verse 11. Uh, but that was only a picture of, of the final garden, the beautiful new creation that Christ will bring in when he returns to judge, like Eden but better, because it's a garden with Jesus at the center. You see, this is where you're going if you're a Christian. Revelation 22, it's the end of the Bible. Here's what we hear. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. That, that's your future if you're a Christian. The healing of the nations. G7, perfect agreement. But the healing of the nations, your life, free from pain and agony and suffering and sadness and sickness, just enjoying beauty and love. Don't you long for that day? Even on a sunny day in Chessington, there must be something better. Christ longs for you to be there with him. He wants to enjoy your worship. Because he prays the night before he goes to another garden, to the garden of Gethsemane. This is what he prays before he dies. John 17, 24. Christ says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Christ wants you to be there. He is saying, come with me, my darling. Come down from the dangerous places, from the distant places. Come close to me. Come be safe with me. I want you to experience my love in eternity forever. That is what he says to you. Did you want to be there with him? Is your hope Chessington? Or is your hope Christ in the new creation? But because I can tell you now, being a Christian today is the best thing in the world. But still, 99.99999% of the blessings of being a Christian are in the life to come. So if you haven't, will you accept Christ's offer? Come with me. Be safe with me. Know my love. And, and if your hope for the future is fixed on being with Christ... Well, look how this girl accepts her lover. It's the last thing we see. It's the consummation. See, back in 2, chapter 7, two, chapter 2, verse 7, she said this, Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. 
Then we've seen in 3.5, she says again, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. But now, verse 16 of chapter 4, what does she say? Awake! North wind and come, south wind, blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Oh, now she desires. Now love desires. Oh, how she desires. She's been offered a safe place. She's been told that she's treasured. So she says, let my sweet scent be blown to him so that he comes to my garden. In fact, do you see what she says in verse 16 again? Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. I long for my garden to become his garden. As the wedding vows say, with my body I honor you. All that I am, I give to you. And so he does. Chapter 5, verse 1. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh, and with my spice, I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. My, 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 my. I have taken possession of her. This isn't simply sex. Because sex is never simple. This is union. This is the possession of each other. This is communion. This is coming together in tenderness and intimacy and physicality in time. She is her king's and he rejoices over her. As Paul says to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 7, the wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Husbands and wives here today, you mustn't be content to lose the beauty of your sexual union. Because it is God's gift to bind you, to bring you joy, to grow your emotional intensity, to help you taste heaven. It's why in our society that rejects God... We worship sex. Because if there is no heaven to come and no divine love to enjoy, we are just animals with urges that have to be fulfilled. But we are never fulfilled. And sex ceases to be about the relationship. It becomes just the act. It's the world of Tinder and the one-night stand. The world where the who is not as relevant as the what. And it's a tragedy that's leaving relational destruction across our nation. But with Christ, as one commentator says, marriage relations will be more than the beastly practices of humanoids. Marriage relations will be sacred, holy anticipations of the consummation of God's purposes. What's he saying? He's saying, in the end, the orgasm isn't the highest pleasure available to a man or even a woman. There's a hint of that in chapter 5, verse 1. When he says, I have eaten of my honeycomb, with my honey I have drunk of my wine and my milk, there it is again. She is the land of milk and honey. He has come into the promised land. He has tasted of heaven. And Jesus tells us, 
that when finally we do go to be with him in that glorious heavenly new creation, he says there's no marriage. No, no, we'll find all our joy and all our pleasure in God's love for us in Christ and in our love for each other. So if you never have sex, you have not lost out on the most intimate relationship you can know. You have not lost out on the greatest pleasure there is. And it will not pass in a moment, or in a minute if you're lucky. It'll last for eternity. And you'll experience God's love in all its fullness, which is a joy indescribable with words. Well, Jesus describes it in many ways. He describes it as a beautiful banquet. I wonder if that's what's going on in the end of chapter 5, verse 1. Rather than the friends speaking, maybe the Lord himself is inviting you to his wedding banquet. Eat, friends, and drink. Drink your fill of love, or literally, be drunk with love. Just as the king called you down from the mountain, come to safety, come close. So now he says, come, friends, be drunk with love, be overcome with the love of God in Jesus forever. That's what, that's what God invites you to if you're not a Christian. But because we've seen this morning, there is a king who's prepared a relationship for you where you will be safe and treasured. There's a king who offers to make you beautiful where you've been ugly, to wash you clean from your guilt and stains. There's a king who longs for you to be with him so you can enjoy mutual love. And now there's a king whose very presence is the highest pleasure in all creation. This king is Jesus. And if you want to hear more of him, we'd love you to ask more about him. Maybe you can talk with the person you've come with. Maybe you'll talk to me afterwards. But, but if, like the most of us here, Jesus is your king, your beloved, if he is your present safety and he is your future pleasure, then should we fill our thoughts with him? Should we sing of him together? Should we ponder that we've been loved with an everlasting love? Should we know that there's a love, love greater than the ocean, that has been swept over us by our great lover, King Jesus? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise you, the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, our bridegroom, has set his love upon us, not because we are beautiful, but while we were ugly, not because we are deserving, but because he is gracious, not because we in any way can earn it, but because he loves to give. And we praise you, therefore, that with Christ we are safe. We've been learning this morning we are provided for by Jehovah Jireh. With Christ we are treasured. We are the apple of his eye. With Christ we are loved. 
and with Christ, we will know in eternity an unspeakable love perfectly that we taste of today by his Spirit. Please fill our hearts more with his love and would our marriages more resemble that love for Jesus' name's sake. Amen.